0: Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for the sweet time together that we have enjoyed in your presence already today. And we come now as your people to listen to you and what you have to say to each one of us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, in this time, um, invite us to walk more closely with you. Uh, to know you better, and who you are, and what you're calling us to do, and Lord, to to challenge us, and to to push us outside of where we are right now, into deeper places with you, and uh, Lord, pray that you would do that as as your word speaks, in Christ's name, amen. So we began last week uh, looking at the book of Colossians, and we'll be in Colossians, and then Philemon over the next few months. And we saw in the inter- introductory uh, words to Colossians that, that Paul is very thankful for the Colossian church. Uh, it's a church that he himself did not start. Uh, probably, a, maybe a church that he never he, ever even had had been to. Uh, but one of his followers, a man named Epaphras, had either was probably a part of the Colossian church and went there and had told his friends and his family um, about the Lord, and they began a church in Colossae. And so Paul is writing this this letter to them. He he's heard from a epaphras that there's some trouble in the church Uh, some people are coming and teaching things that are confusing to them things that epaphras didn't teach them at the beginning but uh, now are coming into the church and so they're confused and he writes this letter to them uh, just to to help to correct them and to encourage them and to help them to persevere through uh, their doubt and their their struggles and uh, so this morning, we go to the next part of Colossians, beginning in, in verse 9, and we, we read about what Paul is praying for, for the Colossians. How is Paul praying for this church? And, and many of Paul's letters begin this way, right? If you read through his letters, he often begins with this introduction and some opening words of encouragement. And then he says, hey, here's how I'm praying for you. Because Paul knows that if any eternal benefit is going to come from our walk with Christ, it's only going to happen through prayer. And so Paul begins all of his letters reminding them that he is praying for them, asking that God would do a good work in them. And in verse 9 he says this, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you. To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That God would fill the Colossian church with the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, I've read uh, Colossians dozens of times in my life as I've read through the scriptures over the course of a year or um, at different times in sermons, whatever it may be. Uh, But... When you have an opportunity over the course of a couple of months to just read a, a particular letter over and over again, you see, begin to see themes uh, that are drawn out of it. And one of the themes that I've noticed the last couple of months in studying Colossians is this theme of fullness or of overflowing. It comes up six or seven times in Paul's letters. It it may be in other Paul's letters, but I never noticed it. But I certainly notice it here in Colossians, this theme of fullness or filling or of overflowing. Later in chapter 1, he says that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. That all of the divine fullness dwelled in Christ he says here that he wants us as followers of Christ to be filled with the knowledge of God. He says in, uh, in chapter 2 verse 2 that all of the work that he does as an apostle of Christ is so that we would have a full understanding of the knowledge of Christ. In uh, chapter 2 verse 9 he says that in Christ the fullness of God lives in bodily form and that you then have been given fullness in Christ. So this idea of fullness or completeness comes out in this letter. And so Paul's prayer for the Colossians is that they would be filled with the knowledge of Christ. That in their lives that they would know everything about who Christ is and what Christ is doing in their lives so that they may enjoy him, so that they may live faithfully for him. In this life, commitment to Christ and constantly growing in our knowledge of Christ is where true joy and satisfaction is found. Do you believe that? That in this life, following Christ, growing in our knowledge of him is where true joy and satisfaction, where fullness, completeness, wholeness, that's where it is found. And I think that uh, in past years, often our, our gospel presentations have often lacked this emphasis on fullness. I, I think in the evangelical church, we're getting better and we're correcting this error. But in the past, our, our way we've presented the gospel has lacked this fullness or completeness that Christ offers. You know, we've, we've kind of, we often had reduced the pre- gospel presentation to, uh, you know, do you, do you want to go to hell? No, I don't want to go to hell. Well, then pray this prayer and you won't go there. It was kind of like, a ticket you know out of hell and we we forgot to to talk about all the fullness and joy and peace that that christ offers to us as followers of him you know we always thought talked about being a born again christian and we thought about being born again as this moment this past decision that happened to us so i want to ask you today if i came up to you and said how do you know that you were born How do you know that you were born? You wouldn't go to your filing cabinet and get out your birth certificate and say, here, here's my birth certificate. Here's how I know I was born. No, you know you're born because you're alive now. (laughs) I can see, I breathe air into my lungs, I can hear, I can taste, I can touch the world around me. That's how I know I was born. It's the same with being born again in Christ. That past decision was an imp- is an important part of all of our testimonies. That moment when Christ showed himself to us and we made this decision, but that was the beginning of your life in Christ. It wasn't the end. And being born again is continuing to live into that decision. So this morning I want to talk and walk through this prayer and talk to you today about what it means to live a full life in Christ. I think that's what Paul is praying for for the Colossians. Verses 9 and 10. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. In these two verses, Paul combines knowledge of God, knowledge about his will, also with the ability to carry it out. Then combines the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his will, with the ability and the willingness to carry out his will. And I I think we can summarize this uh, by the biblical word, wisdom. Uh, In the scriptures, wisdom is not only about the knowledge that we have in our heads, it's also about the ability to put that knowledge into practice. Uh, I've now been living in Fort Wayne for about, uh, for about two and a half years. It was actually uh, almost three years ago exactly that I preached my first sermon here at Broadway. Uh, amazing. Three years? I can't believe it's been three years. But we've been living here in Fort Wayne uh, for two and a half years. And, uh, you know, we have this, this great gift in technology. It's called Siri, right? And so anywhere I've needed to go in Fort Wayne, I've just said, you know, Siri, get me to this address. And Siri gets me there. Kitty and I were talking about this this past week. Um, In the moment, Siri is very helpful. But I think that had I not had Siri over the last two and a half years, I would know my way around Fort Wayne a lot better. Because every single time I would have had to get somewhere, I would have had to get out a map, (laughs) and I would have to figure out where I am and figure out all the places that I need to go and all of the roads that I'm going to have to cross and turn to. And Now I just ask Siri where to go and she gets me there. And I haven't had to take that time to gain wisdom about Fort Wayne. I haven't had to take the time to learn how to navigate Fort Wayne on my own because I've been dependent on, dependent on this technology. A wise person is not someone who simply has the access to the right information, but the person who has spent time getting to know God and the realities of the world so that they can navigate the world in the right way. But that takes time. It takes effort, it takes energy to learn the ways of God, to learn his heart for you and his heart for the world, and to learn then how to navigate the world in the right way. In the Bible, we see this very clear in the book of Proverbs, that wisdom is knowledge that then leads us to do what is right and just and fair. So a wise person is not someone who has book smarts or someone who has a few letters after their name. A wise person is a person who knows God and knows God's ways and puts those ways into practice. Uh, Jesus says it this way, "...a wise person is a person who hears my teaching and puts it into practice." And then he compares the wise and the foolish, one to a wise builder who hears his words and, and builds his house on the rock, and another person who hears his words and ignores it and builds his house then on the sand." Wisdom, according to the Bible, is the knowledge of God and his ways and then the willingness and the ability to put it into practice. Wisdom has nothing to do with your IQ, with your ability to read and to comprehend information. A wise person is a person who knows and loves and obeys God. And so there are simple people in our world, people who may not have much information, who are much wiser than any philosophy or ethics professor at Harvard or Yale. In fact, 1 Corinthians says that knowledge can puff up, it can make us proud. When knowledge is not combined with love and humility and grace and mercy, In a desire to take that knowledge and to put it into good use for God and our neighbor, then that knowledge can simply make us proud and puffed up. And I think that as a culture, we, I don't think, I know, as a culture we have more access to more knowledge and information than at any other time in history, right? You know, if we don't know anything, we just Google it, and you know, there it is. We have all of that information right there at our fingertips, But wisdom and Googling it are not the same thing. Not the same thing. And so Paul is praying that the Colossians will be a wise people. Living a full life is not simply having all of the right answers. Living a full life is, with God's help, being able to do the right things at the right time in the way that God would have us to do them. Do you know someone like that? Someone who you would call wise, who just always seems to be able to have the right word at the right time. A person who gets angry, but gets angry at the right time and in the right way. A person who has the right words of confrontation to someone, but is able to say those words in grace as well as in truth. That's a wise person. And it's probable if you know a person like that, it's most likely someone who has pursued wisdom, who has learned about God and God's heart, has learned about God and God's ways, and has, over time, become a person who knows the Lord and knows his ways. And Google cannot help us become this kind of person. Being really hard on technology today, I don't know why, but it's, um, yeah, I've just been thinking recently. I, I love technology and the things that I can do with it but I'm not really sure that I'm loving the things that it's doing with me in the way that it's forming my heart and forming my mind and shaping it and I just today and this week have been really conscious of that as I've been thinking about wisdom the book of James says that if any of you needs wisdom you must ask God for it it's something that comes from God. If you are a person who needs to be able to do the right thing at the right time, ask God. He's the only one who is able to make you into a wise person. And so that's why Paul is praying for wisdom here for the Colossians, because he knows that it's only God who can make them wise. As they're going through their circumstances, there in Colossae, as they're having people coming and teaching them all sorts of things, as they're going to be suffering perhaps at the hands of the Romans eventually, they're going to need to know know how to respond in the way that God would want them to respond and that can only happen supernaturally. It must come from God. And so living a full life is a person who is living a wise life, seeking wisdom as the Bible defines it, as someone who's able to take knowledge and to put it into good practice. Verse 11 Paul says in being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Paul prays that we would be a people of endurance and patience. A life of fullness is again having a supernatural ability to stand and to endure and to be patient in the face of suffering. That you would be strengthened with all power according to your cleverness? No. According to your strength? According to your inner will? No. According to his glorious might? Last week I mentioned that we live in a world where the wheat and the weeds are growing up together. They are growing up together, and so as we are growing up in Christ, as the church is growing up in Christ, the weeds are growing at the same time, and because of that we are going to face suffering. We are going to face trials, and we need to be prepared for them and to respond to them in the right way. And so Paul here is praying that the Colossians would endure and be patient in the midst of suffering. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Rick made just a, a great point in his sermon, and I think it's worth bringing up again. He talked about the way that we often pray for those who are sick. Do you remember him talking about that? Always really struck me the way that he put that. That so often when we pray for somebody who's going through a physical trial, we're so quick to pray that God would remove that physical trial from their life. And that may very well be how we should pray, but it can't be our first inclination. Our first inclination needs to be not about this this present life and what uh, how we can now in our own life here on earth be kind of more comfortable or safe or secure. Uh, the more important relationship is between is this way. It's the vertical relationship. And so what is happening in this physical trial that God wants to then use to make us more like Christ and that theme comes up over and over again in Paul's letters it's in 1 Corinthians that I read for you earlier today after the time of confession it's in James chapter 1 that suffering in our life God has a purpose for it If we will allow him to, he will use that suffering and that trial in order to bring about his good purpose in our life. James says it this way, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because those are the times when your faith is tested. And the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in you so that you will be mature and not lacking anything. So we are so quick to, to think about this horizontal plane in our life and to only look about our present earthly circumstances, how right now we can be comfortable and safe and secure when all the while God is seeking to use that time of trial or suffering to make you more like Christ. So Paul here prays for a supernatural ability to have endurance and patience in our trials and our suffering, which we will experience in life continues in at the end of verse 11 and verse 12 that there'll be a people who are joyfully giving thanks to the father a life of fullness is a life that knows the source of all good things a life of fullness is a life that knows the source of all good things my grandfather's name was Truman Cochran. Uh, our, our son is named Abraham Truman, uh, named after my grandfather. And whenever we would um, be together, he had this phrase, and if he said it one time in a day, he said it a dozen times. And it was this, how good can the good Lord be? He would just, how good can the good Lord be? he just kind of walk around the house, and he just, I think, Probably looking at his kids and his grandkids, he had six children and I don't know how many cousins I have, but it's quite a lot. And I think he would be there and he would just be filled with this recognition of the source of all of these good things. Friends, we are a people who have been given the gift of knowing the source of all of our good things. Andrew Peterson, who just played a concert uh, here about ten days ago, has a song that says, "Don't you want to give thanks to somebody?" <laughs> you know, he's kind of talking to people who are, you know, maybe agnostic, agnostic or atheists, are saying, "Don't you have these moments or experiences in your life when you see all of the good things around you, and don't you want to give thanks to somebody?" When you see the way that the sun shines off the corn in a field, don't you want to give thanks to somebody for that beauty and that creation? We, as God's people, know the source of all good things. And so when we bow our heads, when you bow your head today at lunch, that's a a time where we often kind of say a, a rote prayer that we've maybe said for many years. Can you, in that moment, recognize the source of all of these good things around you, this food that you're about to eat, these people around the table with you, And to give thanks joyfully to the Father, the source of all those good things. Living a life of fullness is being a people who give thanks to the Father, the source of all good things. And then he continues giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of the light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And a beautiful articulation of the gospel right here. In these verses, we hear about the gifts of God's rescue. I think that's what I've put in your bulletins today for the next part of the sermon. The gifts of God's rescue. Living a life of fullness is living a life knowing the gifts of God's rescue. And this begins by knowing that our lives are indeed a rescue operation, right? The gospel is about God's divine invasion into our lives and into our world in order to rescue us from sin, and from death. The gospel is not about our own personal movement, our own personal works, in order to, enga- to gain some kind of divine blessedness. And in chapter 2, this is what Paul is going to be speaking against as there's these teachers that have come in and said, in order to really experience the blessed life, the life of following Christ, you need to do all of these legalistic actions as well. That's what's really going to lead to fullness in Christ. And Paul says, No. You have been rescued by God. In this language, in verses 13 and 14, 12, 13, and 14, uh, really Paul draws from the Exodus story. The Exodus story, there's this idea of being rescued. Do you remember in Exodus chapter 3 when uh, Moses met God on the mountain? God said to him, Moses, I have heard the cries of my people in Egypt. They are in slavery, and I have come down to rescue them. This is what Paul has in mind here that we have been rescued from slavery. He talks about being transferred from one kingdom to another. The uh, Israelites had been in this kingdom of Egypt, and now they have been picking up and taken and transferred into a different kingdom. They have been redeemed by his blood. What happened in the Exodus? They took the blood of the lamb, they put it over their doorposts, and they were redeemed. They were redeemed by that blood that protected them from God's divine judgment over Egypt. And so here, Paul is drawn. Falling on these themes from the Exodus story and reminding us that just like in the Exodus story when God was the actor, when he did all of it, when he came down to rescue his people, that in the same way God has come down to rescue us. In the whole story of the Exodus, God is the one who takes all of the action. He does the work. Whatever the human problem is, the gospel says there is a divine solution to it. Last week I talked about this idea of inevitable human progress, this story that is often told to us that eventually human beings, through our own cleverness and our technology, that eventually we're going to be able to solve all of our own problems But the scriptures tell us that the source of our problems, the power of sin and of death, cannot be solved by ourselves. It is something from which we must be rescued. And so if we're going to live a life of fullness, we must admit that we are not able on our own to overcome the source of our problem, but to know that God has rescued us. And so the first gift of this rescue, Paul says, is that we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the light. Rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the light. Did you know that your sin is your greatest punishment? Romans chapter 1, when Paul is talking about the way that human beings over the course of time rejected God, rejected his ways, and lived out of their own flesh and out of their own desire, Paul says that God then turned them over to their sin. Sin keeps us in darkness, it keeps us from living according to what is real. I think we often see sin as kind of this like de- um, benign tumor on our arm that we kind of need to do some work to cut out. But it really doesn't affect all of who we are. But the scriptures say that sin is incapacitating to us spiritually. It blinds us to God. It blinds us to our neighbor. A few times in the Old Testament, writers talk about idols as Things that have eyes but cannot see, and ears but cannot hear, and a tongue but cannot speak, and feet but cannot walk. And then it says this, those idols are like that, and it says, so are everyone who worship them. Everyone who worships idols, those who live and dwell in sin, are people who have eyes but cannot see, and ears who cannot hear, and tongue but cannot speak, and feet but cannot walk. When we walk in sin, we become spiritually blind and deaf, and dumb. we become become unable to see or to know God, who is the giver of life. So we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. We've been rescued from our inability to see or to know God. This is a gift of our rescue. Another gift of our rescue is that we've been transferred from one kingdom to another. The kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of the son he loves. Throughout the rest of the book of Colossians, we're going to be talking a lot about this. That we are now citizens of a new kingdom with a new king. With new rules and new regulations and new ethics and everything else. We are citizens of a new kingdom. Another gift of this rescue is that we have redemption through his blood. Again, this is a reference to this Exodus story rescued out of slavery. When Paul talks about sin, he talks about sin in a couple of different ways. He talks about it as a power or a force that holds us in slavery as well as sin as an act that we do, as bad things that we do. And I think that this is the way we usually think about sin. Sin is this act, this bad thing that I do. But there's also this other idea of sin, that it's this power that holds us. And here in these last two parts of, uh, of Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, he talks about the way... That God has rescued us both from the power of sin that holds us in slavery. Just like the Israelites were held in slavery over Egypt. And also that we've been forgiven of the particular sins that we've done. That we've been set free from this power. We no longer have to sin. We've been set free from that power that entangles us and keeps us from seeing God and knowing God. And not only that, but we've also been forgiven for all of those particular sins that we commit. This rescue tells us that we have been redeemed through his blood and have the forgiveness of our sins. All of the sins that you have done, the selfish actions, the careless words, the acting out of your lust, your prideful thoughts, your violence towards others. One of the gifts of God's rescue is that you are forgiven for all of them. The acts that you have done that separate you from God do not separate you from him any longer. He has tossed them as far as the east is from the west. Those things that you've done that you can't forgive yourself for, God is strong enough to forgive you for them. So what is it for you? What is that thing that you've done? That thing that fills you with regret and with remorse and with self-hatred and with guilt. What is it? It's that thing that you've been forgiven for. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's prayer for the Colossians is that we would live a life of fullness in Christ. As followers of Jesus, that we would know these gifts of his divine rescue. And that we would know that he is the source of all good things. That he gives us the power to endure and to be patient in suffering. That he gives us the ability to be wise, to not only have knowledge of him, but also to live faithfully to what he calls us to. And so in this crazy and dark world that we live in, Paul is praying that we would be a people of fullness. Fullness in Christ, knowing that he is the source of our life and of our hope. And people who live as citizens of a different home in a different kingdom. A people who have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and the power of sin, and have brought, been brought into life, and freedom, and forgiveness. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for who you are, and what you have done in our lives. Lord, remind us today that you have rescued us. And Lord, if there's anyone in here today who doesn't know that, this, that God has rescued them, Lord, I pray that you would show that to them today. That this would be a day that you would show yourself to them. That they would make a decision for you today. And that this would be the start of a full life in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.